You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. How's it going, Joelle? Going good, Tom. <laughs> Susan's off working hard today with clients. and She left us unsupervised. I know. It's scary <laughs> when that happens, right? <laughs> uh, so, um, not much going on with Under the Shield crazy-wise right now. You guys had a training. We did. We just got back from Bullhead City. We actually stayed across the river in Laughlin. Uh, and we go back there... In a couple more weeks, too. No ghost stories? No ghost stories. She didn't put me up in any haunted places <laughs> this time. <laughs> so She's threatening when we go back down to Bisbee that she's going to put me up in a haunted well, hotel. Because that's like for Halloween or around then? On Halloween. On yeah. Halloween. Yeah. yeah. So she's, you never know. She's making reservations this time. So That should be a whole video podcast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, when we went to Douglas, Arizona, we specifically stayed in the hotel that somebody gave a rating on and said something about blood dripping oh, down yeah. the walls. And that's right. Yeah, we didn't see anything like that, <laughs> which was fine, you know. <laughs> Might be kind of shocking to wake up to that, but. Yeah, when, like when it's. When it's like that, are you supposed to give like five star reviews or one star? Like, <laughs> it depends on what you're there for, right? <laughs> I'm not sure about a five star review. Maybe if it scares the crap out of you, it's you like get a five star. This ghost kept pulling my leg. One star. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, well, today we have a guest um, who is a little crazy, I think, uh, just because of. What he does uh, for a living. Uh, he's also an author, but um, he's a wildland firefighter, a hotshot. Um, he wrote a book called Above the Ashes, and our guest is Kevin Conley. Welcome, Kevin. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show. See, you know, I'll I can face a guy with a gun, a knife, stuff like that, but I don't want to run into fire. That that to really? me is just a little too crazy. <laughs> That's interesting. No, I love running into fire. It's funny because I meet a lot of a lot of structure firefighters, uh -huh. and I always tell them, "Oh, I respect what you do. That that takes so much courage." And they're like, "I think you're freaking crazy." Exactly. You run into the woods. So there's this fifty fifty split where they think we're crazy, and I think they're crazy. See the the. Firefighters around here that we work with, you know, they they claim there's all this science to the fire and you can predict what the fire's doing and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, no, thank you. I don't think it's any better out in the forest either. Mother Nature has a way to screw with you. Yeah, it gets pretty in, pretty intense. I've had yeah at least a handful of of really close calls that <laughs> you don't you know you don't. I used to not tell my mom. Any of these stories, you know, until a year or two went by and I'm back home for Christmas. I tell my dad some of them, but I didn't want them worried like, oh, yeah, I almost died today. I'd be like, I'd always, 
you know, white lies that are healthy for you know, parents right. when they're when they're older. And I'd be like, no, we're just on this small grass fire. It's easy peasy. We'll probably yeah. be out of here. You know, when really it's like we're in 200 foot flames and <laughs> work till 4 a.m. And I'm sending them a text at, you know, the time difference at 6, 7 a.m. their time saying, yeah, everything's just great. We're eating good. Yeah, no way we're eating good. <laughs> yeah, I call that telling them partial truths. Yeah, you tell them yeah, what yeah, they so. what they need to hear is all. That's that's enough. <laughs> and then sometimes around Thanksgiving, Christmas, I go back home to Virginia, and I'll tell my dad some of the the juicier details. And you know, months later, it's not a right. not as scary <laughs> <laughs> when you're not living in the moment. Right. Exactly. That's right. So, my wife, I'm not sure exactly how she came across your book, um, and she started reading it, and she you know, told me, Hey, this is getting to be a really good book. You should check it out. So I read it. Um, and it was, it was, it was a very good book. Um, thank you. Kind of hard. I think, um, opening up, you know, about all your demons that you're facing and stuff like that and how you, uh, get through all that stuff. And a lot of things that you talked about, you know, hit home with me. Um, and I could relate to some of that stuff, the anxiety, the panic attack type stuff um, that hits close to home. So I can imagine writing about it and reliving it, you know, is is kind of one thing, too. But um, with the journey that you went on to kind of slay your dragons, right, mm-hmm. um, that was uh, quite a journey and definitely um, helped get you living back in the light of day, right? A hundred percent. Yes. I mean, some of that was very, very difficult to write um, after I broke through the other side, but there were so many people that reached out to me when I was on my cross country journey. And I realized that my story, especially within men um, telling the story vulnerable and honest was helping so many people. And that's what inspired me to write the book was like, if I can do this, just through my bike ride. Imagine if I had a tool that I could give to firefighters, first responders, or people in the military to help them. Exactly. And, and that took me just, I had to break down my walls and, and be <laughs> just totally vulnerable. Right. And the first few chapters, chapter two and three, are I, they're still hard for me to read. Hmm. Um, and they're hard for people that have gone through that to read. Right. But I knew if I wanted to help people, I had to be raw and honest. Yeah. And I just had to tell my truth of what I went through. I couldn't hide, you know, it's, it's a, I used to be embarrassed at the, at the beginning to tell when I was like silently suffering, I didn't sure. want to tell anyone. Right. Yeah. And, and then it, after I went through it and I saw it help people, I got inspired to talk about it because right. it was helping others. And a lot of people are afraid to talk about what they're going through. And, and like Susan says, our, you know, our founder, she says, if you can find purpose in your pain, then it's it's a lot more healing for you. You know, there's a reason to go on. And and that's what I think your book is doing is it gave you purpose in your pain because now your book is out there and people can read it and see, you know what, I can I can fight through this. I can do this, you know. Yeah. There, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I like that. Purpose and pain. Yep. Hundred <laughs> percent. So how did you get started in this world of woodland firefighting? I mean, how'd that all come about? That's a great question. You know, I, I've thought about that because a lot of people ask me that question and I, I can't firmly remember. Um, 
my my first season i was working in seattle uh my friend owns a construction company and i just sort of want to get out of the city and i think i just saw a job posting like fighting fire would be fun <laughs> and uh <laughs> You know, I like being outside and I like right. manual labor and I, I love the forest. So it'd be cool to help fight and protect it. Sure. Um, and so I applied for a few places, got a job out here in Helena, Montana on an engine crew. And that first season we went to a, a pretty big fire. And I remember seeing a hotshot crew roll in and uh, we kind of drove them in. My engine boss knew like a good route for them to access the fire on some back roads and we drove them in and I saw them get out of their trucks and they were all dialed in and suited up and they're hiking up this hill in this thick smoke. And I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> right after I saw them just going into the the thick of it like that and yeah. that inspired me and I got on a hotshot crew the, the next season. Man, that's crazy. I don't know about that's a, seems pretty intense job to do, you know, living among the fire and yeah, it's just, that's crazy. Seems out of control for me. So now you also have a big passion of helping people. I do. Yes, sir. And I know you uh, you raised um, like $10,000 um, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, right, for underprivileged and poverty-stricken children, right, mm -hmm. up in Washington. Now, did you do that before you got into the firefighting? What how... I did. That was um, 10 years ago, okay. actually, 2013. R right. Um, I was going through some other battles back then. Um, I went through some things back in uh, a long time ago, but when my grandfather passed away and I knew I had to make a change and that's when I went out and hiked the Appalachian Trail. And after I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I, uh, my grandmother passed away who kind of helped bring me back to life in my early 20s. Um, but I was like a new man after the Appalachian Trail. And I sort of set a goal back then that every year I want to do one thing that was really selfish, like I want to go do this and then <laughs> I want to do something um, that's selfless for others. Okay. And so that year, my big selfish thing was going out and hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And I like to do things for a greater purpose. And uh, I decided to raise money for, for love of children who I have been involved with. My father's been involved with uh, since I was a child. Uh, and they help these inner city kids in DC that live in real rough situations, yeah. typically single mothers and, in rough, rough areas of Washington, D.C., and they take them out to the woods, um, going canoeing and hiking and backpacking, and they have them live out in cabins, and then they also help them get a better education uh, in the city and try to keep them out of trouble. So ended up raising a little over $10,000 for them that year, which I was super proud to do. Yeah, that's a great cause. Yep, that, that's good. So are, do you just use social media to announce that, to kind of get people – uh, to sponsor and donate or how's that work? Yeah. Gosh, back then, um, I don't think I had Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, I was on, I had like a blog. Okay. Yeah. So I was emailing people. It was a little before you could yeah. post everything on social media. I've definitely had, I'm sure I had stuff on Facebook, but yeah, a little different style there. It was right. like emailing all my family and friends what's going on. And a lot of people stepped up with some big, big donations. Yeah, that's great. You also did a thing. I don't know if you do this on a regular basis or not. Uh, the Burgers and Love. Burgers and Love. Yeah, that's <laughs> been one of my favorite projects. I've done that uh, twice. I just think it's I, I was raised with really good um, with really great parents um, that always taught me the importance of uh, compassion to, to others, right. especially less fortunate people. Yeah. 
And uh, I just grew up in a family that did a lot of charity work. And um, that was just instilled in me. And when I was in Seattle, I was um, just blown away by the amount of homelessness I saw. It really pulled up my heart. And uh, I just started handing out food to homeless people, cheeseburgers. (laughs) And uh, long story short, I went out to, uh, to get dinner with one of my buddies. I told him what I was doing. I hadn't really told anyone that I was buying food and sleep bags and stuff for homeless people. And He's like, dude, I'm a videographer. We should shoot a video and see if you can raise some money. And next thing you knew, we shot a video, raised a bunch of money. And I went downtown Seattle every day for 30 days and ended up handing out about a thousand cheeseburgers that month. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's great. I know my son, one of my sons, my youngest one, we were over in San Diego. This was probably... uh, 2018 time frame and we're driving you know down the freeway and at all the overpasses he's seeing all these different colored things he couldn't really tell what it was and so he's like dad what is all that up there on the overpass so i was like i don't know we pulled over and we went across and it was uh, tents for homeless people that are just mm-hmm. lined along the overpasses and so that pulled on his heartstrings and he was like you know what i want to do a, a project with through our church and get a bunch of the church people come out and feed the homeless, you know? And so that's, that's what amazing. we did. We went that's back amazing. out to San Diego a few months later with, um, there was like 20 of us and made a bunch of food and put some supplies in bags and just went out and handed them out to all the homeless people that we could find on the overpasses. And it was, it. you know, it was very rewarding, you know? I love, oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it always is. yeah. Give it back always is. That's right. Yeah, it's one of the, I'm sorry. No, yeah, it's just it's it's one of those things people always think that they can't make a change in the world, and right. they need to forget that they forget that because you can, and like right. the change starts in your community. Right, it starts with your family. It starts with your neighbors. You know, yeah. the guy down the street. It's not about fixing the whole world. It's about you can make a change in in your community and in, you, in your world. Exactly. You know, and a little bit of kindness goes a long ways. Oh yeah. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. it's when when you can approach somebody and they have that look of, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have nothing to do with you. And, uh, you know, a minute later, they're smiling, laughing and shaking your hand. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah when I was back. doing that project down there, it was like the biggest thing I'd give people, you know, a cheeseburger or two. And I always thought the biggest thing that I was really helping them with was finding out their name, calling them by their name, looking yeah. them in the eye, right. giving them a hug and, yeah. and, you know, saying a prayer with them, whatever it was, it, that was more than the food, you know? Right. Seeing that person, you know, and letting them know that, Hey, I see you. I, you know, I'm here for you. You know, that's, that's huge. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Talk to us about um, how the effects of the job were starting to wear on you. Um, I mean, was it, did you notice things right away or, you know, did this happen over several seasons before you started having issues that you, you know, were dealing with? Um, It did happen out of the blue, really, is what it all came down to. yeah, there was nothing. I was happy. I was healthy. It was after my fourth wildland uh, firefighting season. Oh, it's just like the doors shut out of nowhere. And a lot of wildland firefighters do go through depression and, and different types of mental illnesses. And what happens is throughout a fire season, you know, you're training through the winter 
and you come into this new fire crew or your same crew and you get this cohesiveness as you're running together, running saws together, fighting fire together, and you have this giant purpose. You know, we're fighting this fire, we're protecting this neighborhood, this community, we're protecting this trail or this huge swath of redwoods, whatever it is, you have this purpose, this structure, this direction. Right. And at the end of the season, October, November, uh, the sun's going down at five mm. o'clock and you're laid off by the federal government and those 20 people that you just fought fire with for the last five, six months, 2,000 hours of work, everyone goes their other ways and right. you're alone and it's dark and and it can hit other people in, in different ways. Right. And I think I had a lot of, um, just a lot of stuff that I never worked on through my life um, and some of the close calls with fire and then losing that purpose. I think a lot of different traumas throughout my life just came crashing down at once that I never processed and went through and uh oh yeah that door shut fast and and hard quick <laughs> yeah it usually does um yeah and it happens to a lot of first responders military guys too you know same thing um could be accumulation effects of the job or like a you know with military from what they've seen and been through or same thing that lack of purpose and you know there's no there's no goal here in front of me now what do i do Right. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. Losing that purpose, that, yeah. that goal. Yeah. That I mission, agree. whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. So um, how did how did you first realize that you were having some issues? What was what were some things that were going on with you that kind of, you know, were either making you stand up and say, hey, I need to get help or I need to do something or what is going on with me and why is this happening? Yeah, it took me a long time to ask for help, a long time. Um, I started having severe panic attacks, uh, like right in November when I left my last fire season in 2020. Uh, almost like the day, maybe two days right after I left Yosemite. Yeah. I started having these violent panic attacks, and they were coming at me two, three, four times a day. And I didn't know what was going on, why it was going on. And when you're having these panic attacks, you're shaky you can't see it feels like you're having a heart attack and uh, it feels like you're dying yeah um, it's, it's very crippling you can't do anything yeah and i turned to alcohol um and i hated doing that but i'd have two or three beers and that would calm me down a little bit and over time i started drinking more and for about a year my only safe haven was sleeping hmm. that was the only time of the day where i felt i don't want to call it peace but when I was sleeping, I just, I didn't have panic attacks. I was dead right. asleep and I loved sleeping, <laughs> but, uh, that was the only way I was, I thought I was so tough to talk about these issues with everyone with anyone being like a hotshot firefighter and, and being a, a leader in my community. And I thought I was too tough to talk about having panic attacks and going through these mental issues. I didn't right. want to bring anyone else down and I was ashamed and I was embarrassed. And it took me a long time to realize that that takes courage. Exactly. I'm fucked up. Like right. I need help. Right. Um, but it's hard to stand up in front of your peers or even your family and say, I'm broken. Something's wrong. And you know, this is what's happening. I, I need right. help. It's, it's, that's a hard call to make. Yeah. And un unfortunately, sometimes it t people don't reach out. Um, and they, we never know why they, you know, pulled that trigger in. Right. Uh, yeah. It took me about 12 months. Um, it took me, the night I, I almost killed myself for me to 
I would have killed myself and nobody really would have known why. Um, I might have sugarcoated that I wasn't feeling too good to some certain people. Right. Um, but I never told anyone the truth or how I felt all day long. And it just, it crippled me and it broke me down. And I tried to go for a run. Um, you know, prior to that, I'd go for 10, 15 mile runs and, and ride my bike 50 miles. And, you know, I worked out almost every day and I was always outside hiking mountains and all that. And there were so many times I was like, all right, today I'm going to, I'm going to get out there and I'd go, go to a trailhead and I'd make it a quarter mile and I, I'd have a panic attack and my body would shut down and I'd be shaking and I could barely make it back to the car. And I just go straight to the liquor store and start yeah. drinking until I could calm down. And, uh, I'd run a quarter mile and have to turn around. I, I tried and I tried and I tried and the panic attacks just took over. And, uh, after they took over, after a long time of suffering with those and, and losing all my interest in doing the things that I loved, I I slipped into like a really dark, deep depression. Um, and that's where things got real scary and, and real dangerous real fast. Right. Now, is that um, is that about the time you know, that you had that um, big panic attack when you were you were headed down to the beach at Big Sur? Um, and you were in your truck, and I know you had a big panic attack there. Was that around that same time, or was, or was that the time that said, I need to do something, I need to change something? Was that a defining That, that was the beginning. Okay. Big Sur, that was, right. that was like day one. Uh, okay. That was like the devil knocking on my door, get ready, get yeah. ready. Yeah, and and I, yeah, the first time, I, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I was like, I really thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. I'll never forget that night I was – Sitting with my in my truck on, on the side of the road. I was just going to sleep in my truck. I got a, a bed back there. And I just remember looking out in the ocean, and I really thought I was going to die. And I got I drank way too much, and I was writing letters to my little brother and my dad, yeah. like telling my brother life advice. And, yeah, I thought I was going to die right there in that yeah. truck that night. And, and I, I had that feeling every day for a year. That's crazy that you had that feeling every day for a year, man. I, I, I had a similar experience, and I ended up going to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. And, mm -hmm. you know, spent several days there. And, of course, no, you didn't have a heart attack. We don't know what your problem is, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a crippling feeling, you know. Just Truly. Just you don't know what to do or what's going on. And yeah, it's, it's, that's amazing. So this went on for, what do you say, about a year? Yes, sir. Yep. And how did you decide, or was there an event or somebody that inspired you to say, you know what, I, I have to make a change. I, you know, I need to do something. What, what was that for you? Yeah, it's actually an amazing story, and I don't know if you believe in, in miracles. And of we course call we do. <laughs> whatever we want to call it. Um, there was, I got in a really dark place um, two weeks uh, before I, I decided I need to make a change, and I wasn't getting any help, and I, I wasn't talking about what I needed to talk about, so nobody really could help me. Um, and I was just drinking way too much to cope and that would get me in a really dark place and i would sit in the darkness and drink and i was just in hell right. in my own head i was just suffering and and silently i wasn't talking to people and i didn't want to be alive and those last two weeks i thought about every way that i could kill myself um quick and and not painfully um and if i owned a gun i wouldn't be talking to you um i wish i owned a gun at that time um, cause I just wanted it to be done fast. 
And in that last week, um, I really thought about killing myself. And uh, one night I, I was there and I was ready. And I thought the best and easiest way I could do it would be to get in my truck and drive as fast as I could into a brick wall mm-hmm. or something on the on the highway. Um, and I was I was ready to do it. And I was crying and I was drunk and I grabbed my car keys. I'm sitting in this dark room and I have a dog and I poured out 20, 30 pounds of dog food on the ground and I gave him a big kiss and I'm really emotional and I got my keys in my hand and I go to open the door and right when I grabbed the knob and I'm twisting the door, it was like something over overtook me and I close my eyes and I can feel this hand on my shoulder and I hear my dad's voice in my head and he says, you never give up, son, you never give up. And I just closed the door and I broke down and it was like an angel came down from heaven and, and saved my life. And from that moment, I was like, I, I have to make a change. I'm, I'm fucked up. I need to, to get out of here. And right then I, I was like, I'm going to ride my bike across the country and I'm going to fight my demons <laughs> head on and I'm going to overcome this adversity. Yeah. Yeah, and so you decide to ride thirty five hundred miles across country, which <laughs> I don't know. That's that that alone is is a is a miracle. I would say I don't think I'd make the thirty five hundred miles on a bike. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, and reading your book, you know, you you talk about that journey, which is which you had a lot of days that were some tough days along mm-hmm. that journey. Um, you had a good network of people that, you know, showed up to um, kind of support you here and there throughout your, your ride and everything. And um, I thought it was pretty amazing that you took your dog Rocky with you on that trip, pulling him in a little cart behind you. And um, I got to ask, have you like, were you doing those cross country trips before <laughs> that? Or did was that just like your decision? Like, this is what I'm going to do to help like the healing process. Well, before that, I'd done a lot of long distance backpacking and I did, um, my longest bike ride up to that point was 1800 miles from Canada to Mexico. So, so I had the bike. I, I know I love bike torn. Um, I'd never ridden that far and I've never pulled a dog. <laughs> that was, the, 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 the good news that's kind of funny was I was, I was mentally ill. So like nothing crossed my mind that I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm going to get this trailer for my dog, Rocky. I'll load it up with dog food. And that first day um, from the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, oh, gosh, within five minutes coming up a big hill right when I left, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I ever thought of. <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't riding the bike. Riding the bike's great. It was the extra 100 pounds with him and his dog food and the trailer. And yeah. I'm sweating my butt off. And I called my father and I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I'll do that this time, but I'll never pull a dog. What kind of dog is Rocky? Rocky's a Texas healer. Yeah, he's probably about 45 pounds. And you throw his cart in there and 30 pounds of dog food and, and my bike. Yeah, it was like yeah. 150, 150 yeah. something pounds I was towing around. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, and there's no, some... tra- no training, no training. I wasn't, I wasn't in good shape. I just spent a year suffering and drinking. Yeah, and then you're heading off on a bike ride. Yeah, that's crazy. And there's some big hills that you have to face. Oh yeah, coming down. Yeah, coming down the coast. <laughs> yeah, you had a big sur all through there. Yeah, that's crazy. 
Um, yeah, well, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say what was amazing. Uh, I started to feel some healing almost immediately. Really? So I went from having these panic attacks and wanting to kill myself a, a few days before to being thrown into this giant challenge. And I had purpose again. Right. I had passion again. I was raising money for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. I had this goal in mind to tackle my demons and to find peace and clarity. Um, I was on a mission and I started to feel healing right away. And and something I wrote about in my book was nothing changes if nothing changes. Right. And I firmly believe like in these steps, when we get in these dark places in life, in life, we have to make these sometimes dramatic changes. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always mean you have to ride your bike across the country. It could, <laughs> right. it worked for me. Um, and everyone's journey out of dark places is totally different, but nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you stay in that same environment, you stay with those same thoughts, like your brain is a muscle. You have to learn to grow it, make it stronger, right. to reteach your brain and re-energize it. And we can get out of those dark places, but we have to make a change. Right. And we have to be willing to make that change. And for me, that was speaking about it. I called the Wildland Firefighter Foundation, talked to Burke Miner, um, their director, I told him, I was like, I'm fucked up. This is what I'm doing. I want to raise money for you. <laughs> and I finally spoke about it, which was yeah. like so freeing. Oh. And then I wrote a, a big post about it on social media. I'm riding my bike across the country. I'm I'm screwed up. And here's what's going on. Right. And I'm, I'm going to try to heal. And just getting that out to the world. And then I'm making like this change. I'm challenging myself. And that was a big part that, um, that I mean, that's why I think I found the light again um i think the light's always there i just yeah. believe at times it gets dim and we gotta we gotta find it again yeah you gotta it might be behind you but you gotta look for it it's there it's always yeah. there somewhere and what helped me so much on my bike um so many people uh helped bring me back to life so many wildland firefighters and the support i got along the way uh, my dad came out for for 10 days as a support vehicle which was amazing and I had these uh, amazing moments, but the, the biggest thing for me on my bike was these moments where I'd be 50, 60, I think 70 miles was the furthest from a town. And I'm out here on my bike and it's just me and my thoughts. And there's no escape. There's no bar. There's no liquor store. <laughs> there's no phone service to call a friend. Right. It's just me and my thoughts. And I'd be on these long stretches, 50, 60 miles of highway, and I would feel my feelings and I was forced to confront them and to feel them and to go through it. And I would, that would happen every day. And I, through the days, I stopped thinking about panic attacks all the time. I stopped thinking these negative thoughts and through these challenges, through sweating and through working my butt off, I started to think positive thoughts. And at the end of the day, I was happy with where I was because I just rode a hundred miles across the desert right. or whatever it was. So I was building confidence. Um, so you have to build these tools in order to to heal. Yeah, and I, I really think the, having the purpose, that drive, that challenge that you set before yourself, and you know, even the daily goals that you set, um, you know, to make it to this point, to this next town, you know, those those all have to help you mentally not dwell in the past and you know, like the woe me type stuff. It it more drives you to press on and. And like you said, when you have those moments, you can think about them and confront them head on. Why, why am I doing this? What, you know, why am I feeling this way? And, you know, you can deal with all that stuff in your own head 
at that time. So I think that's right. that's super healing for you. That's for sure. So what was I know part of your you had like a when you hit fifteen hundred miles that was kind of your aha time, right? You had a big epiphany then. I did fifteen hundred miles. Yeah, it's quite a way to ride a bike. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Oh, I'll never forget that. Because um, I had a couple panic attacks. I had one in Arizona and one going up Emory Pass in in New Mexico. So I went from having panic attacks two, three, four times a day um, to two in fifteen hundred miles, wow. which was a big deal. Um, yeah. And a big part of that was just you got to forgive yourself. You know, I don't know what happened to me, but I have to like acknowledge that I'm going through things and I need to forgive myself and accept what I'm going through. And I'm on a healing journey and I I need to let go and and, and grow from this. Um, And when I hit 1500 miles, I'm, I'm coming into this small town in Texas and it was a big day of climbing. And I'll never forget it. I get to the top of this, this big hill and this, this sunset over the mountains was just this magic fairy tale. (laughs) Oh, these, these oranges and reds and purples and, I just like had these happy, happy tears coming down my face where for the first time in, in over a year, I felt peace. Yeah. I felt clarity. I felt like I felt like myself again. And I was proud of who I was and I was confident again. And I still had a long ways to go. And I just in that moment, I was I was there. I was I was at peace. Yeah, that's that's, um, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it mean, was beautiful. And it, then most of the rest of the bike ride, I. I felt myself. I was I was happy. Yeah. And I was starting to get those negative thoughts out of my head. Like a big thing was understanding. Uh, like I thought about panic attacks, and that's part of the reason probably I had so many because I was like, "When's the next one coming?" Right. And you can't and help stop, that. Stop thinking that way. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to get that out of your head. It, it is. Yeah, I know. And um, so I was having. There was a time when I was having problem controlling my emotions, where I would just start crying for no reason. And I was having anxiety about it, wondering when is this going to happen again? And then it, more anxiety about having anxiety. And, you know, and then all of a sudden then I'm leading to panic. And, and yeah, it's, it's debilitating and it's hard not to think, when's that next one going to happen? Man, I hope it don't happen here, you know. Right. That's, and that's still um, in the back of my mind. I think that will always be in the back of your mind after yeah. you go through that. Um, I so rarely think about them now, but yeah, certain moments trigger it where you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting in a helicopter, you know, going to a fire. And I'm like, this would be a great time for that to happen. And yeah. on my bike ride, I think a, a huge, I got those thoughts out of my mind or at least tamed. Um, and a lot of that was understanding like my perspective versus my reality. Like a lot of my panic attacks, like this was how I was perceiving my life and my mm-hmm. future, I don't have control over my future. Right. I don't have control over what's going to happen in five minutes. But I was thinking, when's it going to happen? And and I was right. I was losing control. Yeah. Um, but this was only a perspective a perspective in my mind. This wasn't my reality. Right. My reality is I'm I'm right here. I'm going through this right now. How do I bounce out of this? You know, I got to get through this. And when I switched from my perspective, when's it going to happen again? I'm going to have panic attacks forever. And I focused on my reality that I can overcome this. Mm -hmm. I can do that. And it started getting out of my mind and I was building confidence through riding my bike. 
and and sweating it out right. and feeling these feelings. Every hill and, you climbed, right? Yeah. And it was a huge distraction from those feelings as mm. well. Right. Um, but yeah, huge thing was it, it's amazing because to this day, I don't always do it, but it's it's so hard to talk about some of these issues we go through as men. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying it's hard for women, of course, as well. Um, but it's a huge stigma with men, especially, right. in, you know, in fire, policemen or first responders in the military. You know, we get this this wall and the shield and 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 part of it just the job. We don't talk about this shit. Right. We're tough. Yeah. Our job to... is tough. Right. And people expect us to be tough. Yeah. And, every and we don't time want to show I... weakness. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then I noticed um, I felt so good when I talked about it. And so many people <laughs> could relate. Yeah, I would, I'd, I'd have like a, a Marine hit me up and be like, I'm going through the exact same thing. And isn't it's that really surprising? Like when you first started talking about it, you were probably very surprised at how many people said, man, I know exactly what I'm having that same issue. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and then you realize, well, man, I'm I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only right. person that feels this way. Right. It's amazing when you don't feel alone. And I always tell people like, you're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. And yeah, I, I was um, wildly amazed by, I feel like the energy you put out is, you know, the energy you attract. Sure. And through my bike ride and, and writing uh, my book the next year, you know, I'm talking about my book and my bike ride and depression and panic attacks and, you know, almost killing myself and how I overcame it. And it seemed like everyone I met for the next <laughs> year, was knew someone or they were going through depression yeah. or panic attacks. I was like, the whole, I think the whole world's freaking depressed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and, but nobody wants to talk about it. Right. And they were like, I had so many, like at the dog park, um, big dog park in Salt Lake City where I lived, um, I'd have these hour-long discussions with people and they'd start crying. And yeah. I was just, I was just t telling my raw, truthful story. Right. And then they they would open up and tell theirs and they're like, I haven't told anyone about that. Yeah. I felt so good. And I made so many deep connections with people because right. um, you think you're alone. Exactly. And it's, and it's like it, it blows my mind to this day that we sit there and we're like, I, I never felt any self-pity. Um, but I, I, I always, you, you sort of feel like I'm the only one that's gone through <laughs> this in some weird way. Yeah. It's like no freaking way. that There's been people walking for thousands of years. Exactly. You don't think they felt this way? Yeah. Um, we all go about it different ways. You know how we handle it, of course. And right. We all journey through it. Yeah. But it, it really is amazing when you can open up and be vulnerable with somebody and you know, you find out that they're living that same thing that you've been through or that you're living, you know, at that same time. And they open up and you make that deep connection. Um, it's it's very healing for both of you at that point, you know, and now you have that realization that, man, I'm not alone. And, and that right there makes you look for the light, you know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But yeah, when you're... it takes a while to get there. But when yeah. you get there and you're like, I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm not alone. And I've got so many people, um, emails from people that have read my book. And they're like, you help me know that I'm not I'm not alone. Right. And that's how we feel. That's how so many people yeah. feel when they're struggling, that they're alone. Right. And then, you know, you're not talking to anybody. So nobody really knows what's truly going on with you. And you see somebody that you know, and they they ask you how you're doing. Yep, I'm doing good. You know, because you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to open up and be vulnerable. And 
say, hey, I am broken, you know, it's it's a hard thing to, to get over. But, man, once you do and you start talking about it, it, it makes that heavy load seem so much lighter, you know. Um, yeah. It just... Yeah. It, it brings clarity to you and you can start to make changes in your life to say, okay, here's my direction. Now, this is what I need to do, you know, and, and, and that is healing. hundred percent. So your, your dad came down and like you said, 10 or 11 days, right? He spent with you as your support. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> he came down, um, that El pa Del Rio, Texas is yeah. where he flew into. Uh, and he supported me the the whole all, all the way across the state of Texas, and then we uh, said goodbye in, in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a long trek across Texas. I hate driving it in a car, let alone being on a bike, man. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing because um, he had the support vehicle, uh, and and we got on a on a roll. Probably the first day, uh, he understood the the mission, and he was just there being a being dad of the year. Yeah. Um, and he'd have Rocky in the in the truck and and you know all my gear. So most of the time I just had my bike and, and yeah. one saddlebag with some you know jacket or whatever I needed. Right. And and we got to this routine where in the morning, um, he would go and, and get breakfast and I'd ride 20, 30, 40 miles and he'd meet me in the next town and he'd have a hot breakfast and it'd be like a little pit stop. <laughs> and I'd stop, eat breakfast on the side of the road or in town, wherever it was. Um, and then we'd have checkpoints. Hey, I'll see. Sometimes it was just, I'll see you at the hotel or something like right. that. And it was funny. The first day, uh, I rode 102, 103 miles, uh, into a small town called Leakey, Texas. And my dad was so nervous seeing how fast the cars were going and <laughs> it got real hilly and he was stopping on every, every pullout to make sure I was okay. And I was like, it's fine. I'll see you in town. Um, but then it ended up getting real dark and, uh, he followed me for probably the, the last 10 miles. It was actually pretty nice having some of these bright lights yeah. behind me to see the road. And <laughs> But then he got the hang of it. But, yeah, he'd be sitting in the hotel waiting for me to come in and uh, anxiously be calling me. How far are you? <laughs> well, that had to have been a, a, a good journey for him, too, you know, spending that time with you, uh, knowing what you were going through and supporting mm -hmm. you in, in not only physically, but mentally also, you know, that, that was, oh, totally. that was huge for him too. I'm sure. Yeah. It was a huge bonding experience. Um, you know, father and son, and it, it, you always, as a, as a son, like you always want to make your dad proud. Right. And it pushed me on my bike cause I was doing huge miles. And when my dad was proud of me, it made me more proud of myself. <laughs> That's and, right. Um, yeah, it was a great bonding experience. Yeah. We'll never forget it. We'll never forget it. And he got to see me on um, some news interviews and and some firefighters helped us out with a hotel and some yeah. dinners and he got to see some miracles happen along the, the trip. Yeah, and that was that was pretty neat uh, reading in the book too. How um, while you're going across the country, diff different firefighters, you know, either from local fire people that knew that had heard about you coming or friends of friends from the um, wildland firefighters, you know, saying, "Hey, let's." let's go find this guy and let's, you know, help him out the, this portion of the journey, you know, that, that, that was a pretty cool story about that. Yeah, it was amazing. There was so many people that helped me. Uh, sometimes I felt like I was just the only one out there and <laughs> well, it kind of was. And yeah, it was one of the most wild experiences I had was 
riding my bike across um, the Apache Reservation down near uh, Globe and San Carlos, right. um, Arizona. Yeah. And when I was down there, I was blown away. The natives down there were so it, it was the, the coolest group of people. They were so inspired and thought what I was doing was like the craziest, coolest thing. <laughs> and me and Rocky were on Fox 10 in Phoenix. Right. And it came out like the next day as we're rolling into this um, reservation, we stopped at this place called the Apache Burger. And there had to be 60, 70 people in the, in the room waiting for food and ordering food. And this big football player looking Apaches in front of me in line. And I got Rocky. And he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, aren't you that firefighter riding <laughs> your bike across the country? And he looks down at my dog and he goes, is that Rocky? <laughs> and I was, I was trying to be humble and I was like, he's saying it all loud. And I was like, shh. And he turns, he turns around to the whole restaurant and he goes, this is the firefighter riding his bike across the country for charity. And everyone started clapping and he ended up being a um, tribal youth leader. Yeah, and he had a group of uh, young kids that were they were just up in the mountains doing some tribal um, dances with face paint and drums right. and singing some ancient um, Apache songs. And he came outside and got the boys off the um, off the bus, and he said, "We want to sing you this ancient um, Apache song. It's called Going Home that we've been singing for over a thousand years." that they'd sing before the warriors went out or for raids and hunting. Mm -hmm. They'd sing this song, hoping they would come home safely. And so I got circled, me and Rocky and, and the bike and um, these these kids, one kid's beating on the drum and they sang this native song all in, in you know, an ancient yeah. Apache language uh, for 10, 12 minutes. It brought me to tears and <laughs> That's amazing. wished me luck on my journey. It was It was so special and... Yeah, it was these moments like this that were like bringing me back to life. They were like breathing fire into my yeah. soul and my spirit. And it was incredible. And I had a, another Apache um, pulled over on the side of the road and had this big cowboy hat on. Um, from what I understood, um, their grandfathers will give them a, a cowboy hat when they become young men. And it had an arrowhead tied to the top of it with sinew. And he said, I, I saw you on the news and <laughs> like, no way. And he's with his girlfriend and he pulls out this big dagger off the off his hip and he cuts off the arrowhead. And he said, I want to give you this. Um, it will keep you safe for the rest of your journey across the country. And yeah, yeah the Apaches just spoiled me with with kindness and, <laughs> and prayers and and love. And and then there were so many wildland firefighters that were like, hey, let me help you. There was um, the Forest Service, Texas A&M Forest Service and in uh texas um stepped up and took me out to dinner and and got me a hotel and and they shuttled rocky around like three different towns um <laughs> so there's so many people that, yeah. that just went above and beyond to to help me as i was going through a rough time and it was a, it was a miracle and i'm forever grateful yeah it was an amazing journey you know that you went through not alone personally but you know that everybody along the way that stepped up to help you and and you know give you support you know and press you on you know and cheer you on that i mean that was fantastic it was it's 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 a great book to read um like you said there's some hard stuff in the beginning that that's for sure um but overall the book the you know that tells your journey it, it was it was a fantastic read uh, thank you so I much i commend you it was, tough, you know, 
going through that living living in that kind of turmoil and stuff that you were doing and then to see how you came out at the end you know that's it's fantastic thank you yeah so how at what point did you start writing the book oh good question uh almost right after i finished the bike ride and what yeah, i finished were you just inspired by like just all these events that <laughs> happened like on the trip like what what really motivated you to start writing yeah there were so many people sending me emails and messages on social media that said my journey was helping them in, in so many different ways and and me talking about my demons um helped them to, to feel like they're not alone and they could talk about them too um and i was inspired by all these other people telling me i was inspiring and uh i've always loved writing and i always wanted to write write a book and i had a story to tell and i thought if i put this in into words it could it could really help other people um and so yeah i started writing in in january finished the book in october uh came out october 5th of last year and uh it's had a huge impact on on tons of different different folks from different places all over the country i mean some people all over the world um so it inspires me and uh i'm actually working on a second book it won't come out for a long time but um no i love writing and i found so much therapy through that process and and it was just i found out through that bike ride like i need to have purpose and i need to have goals and, and passion and and through writing um for that year um, really helped me stay on target. I had a goal, I had a mission Mm -hmm. and kept me positive. And after the bike ride, I was back to my, I don't want to say normal self, a better self. And (laughs) I was out running and hiking and biking again. And I was feeling like my life was meaningful and fruitful. And yeah, then I wrote this book and I've just been blown away by how many folks it's, it's helped, um, throughout the last year it's been out. I've got some, uh, I think the most emotional email I got was from, a. Um, a military veteran that said my book saved his life mm. and I didn't know how to respond to that right. um, he said I'm, I'm going through almost exactly what you went through in your book I want to kill myself I'm drinking too much I've never talked to my wife or my family about this mm-hmm. he said I put your book down I finished it and I called my parents I told my wife what I'm going through I'm going to go to rehab I'm going to get my shit together and you let me know I'm not alone and yeah. I can't overcome this yeah, yeah and it's that's, messages wow. like that that I was just blown away by. Yeah, and that's I mean that's such a blessing for you too. You know that that your story can inspire somebody else to turn their life around and and seek help and get you know become better. You know that, that's that's huge. Um, and I know you you also did this for charity um, and you were able to raise what just over twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for the Wildland yes, Firefighters. So that, I mean, that was fantastic too. Uh, what, what would you say the hardest, the physically the hardest part of your ride was? Oh, good question. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, the hardest part of the whole thing was, was just getting to San Francisco. Was just gathering the courage up to... To start? To, to start. Yeah. And then after I started, I was feeling better every day, a little bit better. I was, I was healing yeah. and there was definitely hard parts, but it was so inspiring that I was like building this confidence and I was tearing down these walls mm-hmm. and I was reteaching my mind. And I was like, 
my spirit was coming back to life and I was becoming stronger and adapting to these circumstances. And there was hard times, but it was so beautiful that I was, I don't want to say, you know, the hardest was probably the heat in Arizona. A couple (laughs) of days were, were hard. Um, the, the hardest part was when you were on a dangerous road yeah. uh, mentally, because I don't want to die. You know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I, I didn't want to die. But, <laughs> but once you got out there better. and going, yeah. I, I want to live. And there's some scary sections. There's a real scary section uh, up and over this place called Top of the World and, and down in the Globe, Arizona. Yeah. And it was hot. And I had to go through this one tunnel uh, where it was two lanes of traffic going either way. <laughs> And as I'm going up the hill, looking at this tunnel and I'm pulling Rocky. So I'm slow and heavy going uphill. I'm going two miles an hour and I'm like, I'm going to die in this tunnel. Yeah. It's not lit. There's no shoulder. Yeah. And there's and not have... a lot of room. Mm-mm. I know what tunnel you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's the, 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 I think it's the Queens, Queens something tunnel. And it's short. It's a quarter mile, something right. like that. But I'm moving slow. That's going to exactly. take me 30 minutes to yeah, get through. all you need is two semi trucks coming opposite directions, right? Oh, and they're trapped and I'm trapped, right? And I, yeah, and I'm wide too with the trailer. And I remember I, I pulled over right before I went into the tunnel and I said a prayer and I turned on all my bike lights on the back. So I got three lights just flashing and going crazy. And I just held my breath and started going through the tunnel. And you talk about another miracle. Not one <laughs> car, not one car came yeah. through that tunnel coming behind me. <laughs> and the second I got through it, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder, hoping hoping those two semis aren't coming. And uh, sure enough, not one comes through. And I get to the other end, and I pull over in the little little shoulder area yeah. when you get through it. And I'm like, how did that happen? And right after that, <laughs> 50, 60 cars and semis come flying up the road. It was a miracle. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, the, the that bike trip has some some big hills coming down um, the coast, uh, Highway One. Yeah, and then coming through Arizona, New Mexico, some big hills, and you'd, you'd be surprised. Texas Hill Country, when you come through there, people don't think there's there's big hills. There's some big climbs out there yeah. in, in eastern and western Texas. Yeah, and then when you get through Austin. Um, and Baton Rouge, it starts it starts to flatten out, and some of it kind of gets boring when you, when you get out of the hills. The, you can just see last, forever. <laughs> yeah, the last few hundred miles of of Florida were beautiful. You got you get down to the beach, and yeah. but the the biggest thing I'd look forward to was a bridge because that would be my my only incline of the day. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So you're you're back. You've written your book. You're you're. Your life is doing good. You're feeling healthy. What are you doing now? Uh, right now, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fire season's coming to an end. Um, had a good time in, in Yellowstone this season. I got my dog back, my best friend, Rocky. Um, and I just, you know, a lot of the fire seasons, I took the six months on and six months off. Right. And I, I've learned through everything I went through that I need to keep a purpose going. Um so I'm working on a, a children's book series that's coming out next year called Bark Ranger, which is about Rocky being like a superhero kind of dog in national <laughs> parks. Um, and I'm still writing um, as much as I can. And I'm a mental health advocate. So I talk a lot about mental health on, on social media and I do some some public speaking, uh, motivational speaking. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for a job so I can just keep structure and, and keep 
some purpose in yeah. my in my life and and not get off track and stay focused. Yeah, that's good. Um, so when you are when it is fire season, you're out there. What do you who watches Rocky for you? Uh, this year, my good friend down in Moab watched him for me. <laughs> okay. so, until I find a, a long term girlfriend or or someone. You know, I got to hopefully find someone I can trust. Right. It's a vetting process. I'm not just giving them to anybody. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. So where's your favorite place uh, that you've been where you um, had to fight fires at? What what was? Oh, gosh. So many of them are amazing. What's so cool about fighting wildfires is, Wildfires, you know, they happen everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. There's no, yeah. oh, you know. Yeah. So one of my favorites was probably up in the Salmon Chalice Wilderness up in up in northern Idaho. And we got to fly in a, a helicopter and it dropped us off between two mountains in the saddle there. And we just were living up on this mountain peak for a week, <laughs> spiked out, eating MREs and, yeah. and getting our ass beat going up and down. This <laughs> Salmon Chalice is really, really steep country. Wow. Um, that was one of my favorites. We fought a fire down in in the Rockies in Colorado, um, the 416 fire, which was actually started by a, a train, an old coal train, coal or whatever, that goes from Silverton to Durango. Started this fire on the Continental Divide Trail, mm-hmm. and I'm a long-distance hiker, and we got to protect a bunch of the Continental Divide Trail, which was super rewarding, and then yeah. we got to save um, um, a whole housing community kind of in this big bowl and this fire was going to burn down all these houses and we got to rescue them wow. some of my fa- favorite missions have been protecting homes yeah protecting homes i, I wrote about one grandma's cabin in my book <laughs> yeah. which was super cool we saved this lone cabin way back tucked back in this canyon and there was no way in hell that was going to survive and <laughs> we saved it we didn't know that for three days and you know got a radio call three days later from a helicopter Hey, yeah. Snake River, you, you and your boys saved that cabin. <laughs> and that's a great yeah. feeling. It has to be, you know. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So how do people reach out to you? How, how do they get in touch with you uh, if they want to, you know, hit you up for something or buy your book, that type of stuff? What's the best way? Yeah, my website for my book um, is kevintheauthor.com. You can also get it on Amazon if you want to, but I'd rather you get it on my website. Um, and then my social media, I use Instagram, and my username on there is Backcountry Ninjas. So I All post right. a, a lot of content on there and, and talk about mental health and, and the power of positivity, and, and I try to inspire people through, through my videos on there, um, which seems to work pretty well. All right. Well, we'll make sure that we get that uh, out on our social media for you, too, to, uh, so people know how to get in touch with you and, and support you by buying your book, especially while you're looking for a job, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. But... I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, I know uh, my wife was trying to schedule with you, and then fire season kicked in, and we were like, oh, who knows when you're going to uh, you know, be able to get on and do the podcast. So I'm glad to, um, we were able to do this. Um, your book was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think you, you're not done helping people, you know, that book's out there and the more people that read it, they're going to share it with their friends that, you know, are having issues and, and it's just, it's very inspiring. So hats off to you. Uh, great job on the book. 
Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll definitely keep up with you on social media. I want to see what you keep you know what you're doing and and uh, how you're helping people. So uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, I had a quote that I want to share with you that I read the other day. Um, it was by Oscar Wilde, and he said, um, "I actually wrote it down. We are all in the gutter. Some of us." Are look, but some of us are looking at the at the stars. We are all in the gutter. Some of us are looking at the stars. And I thought it was such a cool quote because we're all in the same place. Right. Um, how I took it was like, it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor or you got this or you got that. Like we're all gonna have bad days. Yeah. We're all gonna have good days. We're all gonna. It's like a guarantee in life that we're gonna go through adversity. And yeah. and what defines us as uh, as humans is in our character is how we adapt and we overcome I agree. like hard times are yeah. like guaranteed. You're going to lose people. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen to you. It doesn't matter who you are and life will be defined by how you overcome yeah. that adversity. Yeah, that's huge. I, I agree. Uh, that is a good quote. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you being our guest today. And I wanted to um, put out there to all our listeners as you know, if you're if you're going through those dark times, um, there there are people out here that you can reach out to, um, even if it's a friend. You'd be surprised how many of your friends might be going through similar situations that you are. Um, but the big thing is, don't be afraid to reach out. I know it's a hard phone call, or it's hard to actually break that ice and say something to, to your buddy. But once you do and you start that healing process, it's, it's huge. Um, you can always contact us at Under the Shield. Uh, we have a hotline that you can call 24-7. It's 855-889-2348. You can call us anytime. If you um, hit extension 1, stay on the line. Uh, it's going to roll to the first available stress coach, so it may take several rings. Um, but you will get somebody. If you want to hit extension two, you can talk directly to Susan Simmons. Um, you can also reach her on her cell phone at 334-324-3570. Um, if you hit extension three, you'll get David Cohen, who is our counterpart down in Alabama. And I am extension four. You can also reach me on my cell phone at 480 861-6574. Um, this is open to all of our first responders, military, um, veterans, you name it, and also the families. Um, families, you guys go through a lot of personal hell when your loved ones are off at work, and then sometimes you're going through personal hell when they're at home from work because <laughs> of what they've experienced. <laughs> so we are here for you. We have stress coaches that are available that are family of officers and firefighters and military. They they know it. They live in your same life that you've lived. So don't be afraid to reach out to us. Um, I hope that everybody comes back again for next week and we'll see who's, I'm not sure who we have coming up in the pike, but, uh, we'll have another good guest for you again, Kevin, thanks a lot for being with us today and good luck with all future sales on your book, on your book. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it.